For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, we are thrilled to have you here for another epic debate. If this is your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a nonpartisan platform that hosts debates on science, politics, and religion. And our goal is to give everybody their fair shot to make their case on an equal playing ground. We are very excited and want to let you know as well, we are nonpartisan in the sense that no matter what walk of life you're from, we hope you feel welcome. We want you to know we really do want you to feel welcome, whether you be Christian, atheist, Republican, Democrat, you name it, and want to let you know as well, we are excited for a lot of upcoming debates. So if you would like a reminder for those upcoming debates, consider hitting that subscribe button. For example, we have this Friday, we're very excited, you'll see at the bottom right of your screen, Matt Dillahunty and Jonathan McClatchy will be debating the resurrection, so that should be a lot of fun. And also want to let you know a couple of other housekeeping type things up front. We are excited to mention a couple of things. One is that after our recent debate with Milo Yiannopoulos, we are actually, we got a lot of feedback saying that we need more conservative or right-leaning moderators. Because we do want to keep it equal. Moderators can have an opinion. And we do have a lot of left-leaning moder moderators, which we're happy to have. We're thankful for the great work they do. And now we are saying, hey, if you're a conservative, somebody who leans to the right, we do want to keep it balanced. And so let us know. The only, you could say, work that you have as a moderator is we just delete any sort of hate speech without warning. If somebody's harassing someone, we'll say, hey, can you do us a favor? It looks like you're harassing somebody. We're going to block you if you don't stop. And also, if there's any sort of spamming, which is pretty rare. And also, though, we are very excited to let you know, if you haven't heard, Modern Day Debate has invaded the podcast world. So you'll see at the far right side of your screen, those are just some of the podcast apps that we're on and that you can find us on. So if you can't find us on your favorite podcast app, let us know what we'll work to get on there. And with that, I want to say we are stoked to have our guests. This is going to be a lot of fun. Now, both of our guests have got prior debate experience. You've seen CJ on here on Modern Day Debate many a times, but also, Carissa has debated people such as Vegan Gaines. So she is not a rookie when it comes to debate. We're very excited for today and just want to let you know, I have put both of the links of the speakers in the description, folks. So if you'd like to hear more about our guests, learn more about them, where they're from, you can by clicking on those links. And with that, I want to just say before we do get rolling, thank you, Carissa and CJ, for being here. We're excited to have you just hanging out with us. Thanks for being here. A pleasure definitely thank you for having us yeah absolutely I, I greatly appreciate it james absolutely with that what we'll do is i think if i remember right cj will get the ball rolling with his introduction and then carissa will have her opening as well these will be roughly five to ten minutes and that's kind of flexible so they might be a little bit more or less than that range and also want to let you know, we'll have open conversation after that in Q&A. So if you have a question, feel free to fire it into the old live chat. And 
Super Chat is also an option, in which case you can make a comment toward one of the speakers if you'd like, and it'll push your question or comment to the top of the list for the Q&A. So with that, very excited, and without any further ado, CJ, the floor is all yours. Alrighty, and thank you very much for that. And so to start, I would just like to say shalom and blessings to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom I will give all the glory here today. Um, and of course, I want to thank James for hosting us and Mrs. Avalon for debating me today. Um, the question before us today is, does the Holy Bible condemn or forbid, if you want to use that word interchangeable, homosexuality? Um, I would venture that many of the people listening, both Christian and non, are probably puzzled by such a topic as there has been literal unanimity on this issue for literally thousands of years. Um, up until the 20th century, it was understood by laity, clergy, and academia from both Christian and non-Christian circles alike that the Holy Bible unequivocally condemned homosexual practice. Um, it just so happens that nobody ever questioned this fact until acceptance of homosexual practice actually became a hot-button issue in specifically Western socio-political debate. Um, there's many that would have you believe that this is by complete coincidence, but I personally find that to be kind of an insult to our intelligence. Um, this is certainly not the entire point of my argument. I would call it the part of my argument least emphasized. But it is really important to understand that there is obvious cultural agenda at play at the self-same time that we are seeing for the first time theories concocted somehow of uh, New Testament writers actually condoning or at least not explicitly condemning uh, homosexual practice. So I, I just think that's an important thing for us to note. Uh, nevertheless, I am tasked with presenting the case for said interpretation of these texts, and I will do so now. Uh, to start, we need to examine, of course, the relevant verses of Scripture, and we're going to see what they say. There's five different verses I would consider to be relevant here, um, at least five that I have listed in front of me. Um, so the first one, of course, the most popular one, I would argue, is Leviticus 18 and 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Um, let me say that one more time. Thou shalt not lay with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Uh, this verse says as clearly as any verse possibly could that to lie with a man in the manner that one lies with a woman is abhorrent in God's sight. He calls the act an abomination, which is not exactly a word open to interpretation. Uh, the translation that I have used before you is my good old King James, my personal favorite, but an appeal to translation won't really help here because the NIV will read, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. And the NASB will read, you shall not lie with a man with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. And the ESV will read, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And so forth. Um, you can go to actually to BibleHub.com and compare the different Bible translations. They list a total of 27. And what you will find there is 27 Bibles in unanimity on this verse. Nobody has translated this verse to mean anything other than to lie with a man in the manner that one lies with a woman is detestable for a man to do, right? Um, to the best of my knowledge, because of course 27 is not the total of all English translations, but to the best of my knowledge, there's not actually a single serious English translation of the Holy Bible that has any variance in this passage whatsoever. Um, that is definitely something that is worthy of note. And once again, while I don't want to make nothing but an appeal to authority, it is very hard for me to believe that absolutely everybody, laity and academia alike, who was translating these Bibles for the last you know, 2,000 years, in the case of English, it would be like 500 years, but nonetheless, 
they all actually got the translation wrong. That seems very odd to me. Uh, the next relevant verse is Leviticus 20 and 13. Uh, Leviticus 20 and 13. I will present a little bit of a trigger warning before this verse because you need to understand that the Old Testament law is incredibly harsh and demands a complete and total perfection. With that, I continue. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with womankind, both of them have committed an abomination. They surely shall be put to death. Let me say that again. They shall be put to death is what Leviticus says about this. Their blood shall be upon them. This verse not only unequivocally and harshly condemns homosexual practice, or as the verse itself would put it, man lying with man, but it actually goes as far as to prescribe a death penalty for the offending party, at least under the Mosaic Covenant. Once again, one will find literally zero variance in this Bible, ver or in any Bible version, rather, as it pertains to this passage of Scripture. If one seeks to find solace in their argument from the manuscript evidence, one would be very saddened to find that no manuscript of Leviticus whatsoever shows any indication of addition, subtraction, mistranslation, or any other form of editing or tampering in these relevant verses. And if they did, by the way, you know for a fact we'd all know about it because the activists in the world would never let us forget. They don't because such a manuscript does not exist. Uh, now, we as Christians must understand that the wages of sin is death, and that is all sin. And I point this out very quickly because I know there are many out there who would say that we need to currently today be condemning and stoning homosexuals to death. I do not take that opinion. I find that to be absurd under the Christian worldview. It is very clear that adultery which jesus says is even looking upon a woman with lust and murder which jesus says is even having anger with somebody without unjust cause have the self-same death penalty prescribed for them and that is the sole purpose for a savior so i don't want to get confused here into saying that i am saying we are under the mosaic covenant and we need to go stone homosexuals right however this verse alone condemns homosexuality in a way that is completely and totally unambiguous and as harsh as could possibly be condemned. Of course, this is the entire reason the Savior died for us, but we would not be saved from acts of righteousness. We are saved from acts of sin, right? Next, we move on to the New Testament, because for the most part, the Old Testament tends to be pretty uh, silent on the issue after Leviticus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, we see the Apostle Paul telling us the following— uh, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So not only are the following acts going to be unrighteous, but they are acts which lead one to not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's that salvation I'm talking about. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, and ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Uh, the relevant portion we're going to find here is actually in verse 9, which is the phrase, nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Uh, this is a little bit archaic English for the modern day, but effeminate would be the way you would refer to a passive homosexual, and abusers of themselves with mankind would be those who sin against their own bodies, which of course Paul explains in other verses. Um, in a way that with men rather than women, right? Um, this is actually made a little bit more clear in other Bible translations. For example, in the New, uh, New International Version, you get men who have sex with men. In the NLT, which is the New Living Translation, you get nor those who are male prostitutes or practicing homosexuality. And in the North American Standard Bible, you get nor feminine nor homosexuals. 
Uh, whilst the language can sometimes be varied, we can see the message in all of the translations is clear and in all translations that I know of is clear for everybody to see for themselves. Homosexuality, if unrepentant and not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, will lead one to not inherit the kingdom of God like any other sin. And again, I clarify that Christ's offer of salvation is to all who would accept it regardless of their sin. But again, we must be clear on what the scripture condemns. And what it condemns in this case is the homosexual lifestyle, putting it alongside damnable sins such as adultery, idolatry, and extortion. Which ends up getting worse when we move forward, because we see in the list repeated, although with some variation, uh, 1 Timothy verses not excuse me chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 um knowing this that the law is made for a uh, is not made rather for a righteous person but for the lawless and insubordinate so the following acts are going to be things which are lawless and insubordinate insubordinate of course to god for the ungodly and for sinners for the unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers for fornicators for sodomites for kidnappers for liars for perjurers and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to this glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The relevant portion here is sodomites. I'm sure you guys are aware of what the word sodomite means, but sodomite is an archaic term to refer to homosexuality. The word homosexual did not actually exist uh, until I believe the 19th century, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so back in the day, they would refer to them by some other terms, in this case, sodomite. Florentine is another common term that is now archaic. Uh, here we see homosexuality listed as an action of lawlessness and insubordination alongside heinous and indisputable sins, such as patricide, murder, and kidnapping. And again, we find no translation or manuscript for anybody to turn to. And in fact, I would like to just make a About point here. 30 seconds left. Okay. Um, if I ask the opponent, who, regardless of who it is, it could be Mrs. Avalon in this case, it could be anybody else, you know, theologian, Iden Dershowitz, doesn't really matter. If I ask them, what could Paul have possibly said or Moses have possibly said that would condemn homosexuality clearer than these verses, if that was indeed his intent, you could not give me anything that is clearer than what they did actually provide for us. Um, the last thing I want to say very briefly is Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, not only gives a clear reference to lesbianism, uh, but also calls, um, also calls homosexual sex between men unnatural and a vile affection. The Greek is dishonorable. Um, and, and I don't think I'll have time to quote that whole verse, but nonetheless, I yield my time there. We see that no translation or manuscript exists and that the Bible is unequivocal in its very harsh condemnation of homosexual practice. Gotcha. Thanks so much for that opening statement from CJ. We will now kick it over to Carissa for her opening statement as well. And want to mention, just before I do, give me one moment, as I forgot to mention this at the very start, want to let you know, folks, if you have not seen, we have been pitching this the last few debates totally want you to check out if you have not caitlin has a link in the description she has recently found out that she has a neurodegenerative disease basically her, her brain is uh not let's see how do i put this she ha she's having a brain disease that is coming on strong right now and so we want to encourage you to check out her medical fundraiser page that 
GoFundMe link is down in the description. So we highly encourage you to join us in donating to that. Even if it's a buck or two, that makes a difference. So thanks so much. And what we're going to do is kick it over now to Carissa for her opening statement. Thanks so much. And the floor is all yours, Carissa. Thank you, James. All right. So for many people, the concept that the Bible condemns homosexuality is a perceived fact. Straight people can easily live in guilt or sadness that they cannot fully accept their friends or family who are gay. And those who are homosexual feel like they cannot reconcile their identity with Christianity. For hundreds of years since sexual orientation was discovered, it has been church tradition to condemn homosexuals and any version of their relationships. Pure Christianity, however, is not intended to be based on religious tradition, but rather a deep and thorough analysis of the Bible. And unfortunately, these two things can strongly deviate. In fact, in Matthew 12, Jesus berated the religious leaders of his time for legalism and caring more about what they perceived to be the letter of the law than showing the love of God. Jesus went against religious tradition by, quote unquote, working on the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 11 says, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not hold, take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus was actively rebelling against the strict laws the leaders created to control instead of um, to abide by the intent of the law in doing good on the Sabbath. Similarly, Jesus had risen, or I'm sorry, after Jesus had risen into heaven, his disciples preached a message of being quote unquote free in Christ, condemning Christians who judged each other for things that were not biblically sinful. Romans 14.10 says regarding food and drink, which is no longer prohibited, and which Paul said he was convinced was clean, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. For the one who claims something, this is not in the quote anymore, <laughs> for the one who claims something is a sin, which the Bible does not say is a sin, is just as guilty as the one who preaches something is not a sin when it is. Both are playing God. So this is where the rubber hits the road. Is homosexuality condemned by the Bible? More and more biblical scholars do not believe it is. Dale B. Martin, professor of religious studies at Yale, and where much of my information comes from is one of these scholars, along with theologian and priest Daniel Helmanaic, and late Reverend John Dwyer and many others. So why are many of these theologians skeptical of the normalized notion that the Bible condemns homosexuality? Let's get into it. Firstly, homosexual relationships did not exist then as they do now. In both the Old and the New Testament, the, the Bible condemns homosexuality within certain contexts. Let's actually go through the Bible in order and see what it says about homosexuality. Let's start in Genesis and understand the culture we're dealing with. In ancient times, in the Old Testament, God's goal was for his people to multiply. Procreation was important. And you can see the result of that importance and how the Old Testament frowned on birth control. Genesis 38, 9 deals with this. Law existed that if your brother died, you were to marry your brother's widow to keep his seed going. 
Unfortunately for Onan in this chapter, he was struck dead for using pull-out on his brother's widow. God even said that what he did was evil. This is a similar context to God commanding men not to lie with, with other men. The exact Levitical verse says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. If you are thrown off by the strong word abomination, it just means that the act was forbidden. Planting the same seed in one field was also considered an abomination as was eating meat. Given the importance of procreation, as well as Israel's need to set themselves apart from surrounding idolatrous cultures, this law was necessary in their time, but would be silly to translate to modern day. Other Old Testament verses commonly brought up um, to condemn hom homosexuality are those involving Sodom and Gomorrah. These verses are very explicit, though, and it's in outlining and condemning non-consensual sex, which was used to violate. The men attempting to commit homosexual acts with the angel visitors could not be gay. The verse says, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. The key word here is all. This has nothing to do with sexual orientation. This was a disgusting rape ritual that villagers had to brutalize their enemy. Again, using the word, uh, using this to condemn a consensual homosexual relationship is ridiculous. If the exact story would, were to occur with women, angels being raped, no one would use this verse to attack sexual orientation, but rather see it as a condemnation of rape, which it is. These, however, are not the only places where the Bible touches on homosexual acts. The New Testament mentions um, homosexuality a total of three times. The first time, and perhaps the most referenced, is in Romans. Bear with me, this is going to be a long quote but scriptural context here is important. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness, and those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. Um, dot, dot, dot. That next part isn't very important. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal humans or birds or four-footed four animal or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creator rather the creature rather than cr the creator. Um, for the same reason, um, God gave them up to their degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way. The men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed for passion with each other. The men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own person the due penalty for their heir. These verses are telling a story, and to understand this condemnation, you have to understand the context. Paul was not um, was talking about specific people, the Greco-Roman community who his audience would have been culturally familiar with, ones who were idolaters and worshiped statues of humans and animals. They individually left their own heterosexual orientation and participated in temple orgies and having um, sex with temple prostitutes as well. They were idolaters and their homosexual acts were committed within that context. Again, this has nothing to do with sexual orientation. This has to do with heterosexual people 
participating in hedonism and untamed promiscuity with anyone within their reach. These verses are referring to a people who stopped regarding sex as a conduit for a stronger relationship, um, emotional attachment to someone as was originally intended, but rather a fulfillment of carnal, unnatural desire and a desperate attempt to, um, for a physical pleasure. This condemnation was directly in the context of idolatry and attempting to use this verse again to delegitimize monogamous committed homosexual relationships we see today is absurd. The last two verses in the New Testament um, relating to homosexuality is 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. They are similar in condemning quote-unquote sodomites and saying that they would not inherit the kingdom of God along with a whole list of other sinners. In both of these verses, the Greek words malakoi, the plural of malakos, and arsenokoite, the plural of arsenokotos, are translated very differently depending on the translation of the Bible you read. Yale professor D.B. Martin wrote an entire book on these two words and their translation, expressing the difficulty in nailing these two precise um, definitions down. Since the Bible contains no word to express homosexual, the word we translate um, the words we translate as such are rather vague. Malikos means literally soft and is frequently used to describe effeminate men who may not exhibit courage or moral fortitude. It has also been used to refer to the prostitutes heterosexual men would keep for their own sexual gratification and um, who are typically castrated. Arsenokoites literally means male and bed which could mean a variety of things involving sexuality, but it would be a stretch to assume it is referring to homosexual acts only. Some scholars believe that this word refers to promiscuous men who would have sex with anyone outside of marriage. The word is incredibly rare and to definitively suggest it is synonymous with our current conception of homosexual is tr um, translationally irresponsible. There are, however, a few stories in non-biblical Greek literature that suggest the word arsenokoites refers to instances where one male uses his, one, his superior power or position to take sexual advantage of another. This would make sense since the word malikos has similar connotation of, he of heterosexuals using their young male servants for their sexual gratification. It seems as though these two words definitively discourage sexual abuse and exploitation. But for the last time, using these two words to condemn the homosexuality we see today is not fair. In summary, the Bible never condemns homosexuality, but rather the depraved behavior and motive um, surrounding homosexual acts through history. Many Christians have been misled by church tradition and an understandable ignorance of the original text. For too long, organized religion has used tradition and poor biblical translation to justify their bigotry, but this is not Christianity. The Bible never condemns homosexuality and a homosexual couple can be every bit as God honoring as one that is straight. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Carissa, for that opening statement as well. We will now kick it into open dialogue mode. So I want to say, as mentioned before, folks, oh, 
I, someone let me know that the link for Caitlin's fundraiser was not in the description. It now is, so that's updated. And also, if you have questions, fire them into the uh, live chat. If you tag me with at Modern Day Debate, it makes it easier for me to get every question in that list for Carissa and CJ after their dialogue wraps up. So the floor is all yours. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, James. <clears throat> so what do you think, Jay? <laughs> Uh, well, so there's there's a couple things that I would I would want to kind of point out first. So mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, I just want to go ahead and agree that this will, in my opinion, be solved by the Bible and not by religious tradition. So I, I just want I want to um, express my gratitude that we agree on that issue. Um, so I want to kind of take it in order of how these verses are presented. So let's go first with Leviticus 18 and 22. Okay. So. You said first and foremost that homosexual relationships did not exist at this time, at least not in the way that we understand them today. Uh, and then also claimed that when you were referring to uh, the New Testament, which would be, according to me, some 1,500 years later, and according to most scholars today, some 600 years later, but regardless, farther in the future. Mm -hmm. um, what evidence do we have to support that notion that homosexual relationships are like some new phenomenon? Yeah, so... We have scholars who, um, such as D.B. Martin, who are, um, you know, professionals um, and who have like really studied this time period. To me, it really makes sense because, you know, the world was so much smaller back then, or I, I guess so much bigger back then where you didn't have the internet, you didn't have um, much, much context more than just your town. So if you felt like feelings toward maybe another man, that would be like a little weird because it was, it only existed um, a heterosexual relationships that were like loving were the only relationships that existed during that time. Out of curiosity, are you familiar with the story of Achilles and Petroclus? Um, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely familiar with Achilles. I'm not sure exactly the story you're talking about though. Yeah, so um, the the so Achilles, of course, is from the Iliad, right? Mm -hmm. uh, going and doing all the stuff that he did during the Trojan War, all that good stuff. We don't want to get too derailed on that. Mm -hmm. um, so he actually had a, uh, I believe, his cousin, if I'm not mistaken, um, a little bit younger than him, but a young man, so like in his twenties, uh, named Petroclus, who mm -hmm. he is believed by most scholars today to have a very heavily implied homosexual relationship with. That was absolutely what we would refer to today as a loving and caring relationship. In fact, it's one of the larger pieces of evidence used by modern day LGBT activists to show that in fact, homosexuality is not a new concept. And it almost seems like there would be a little bit of a problem if we were to claim it were a new concept, because why is it that all of a sudden when attitudes towards an action change, magically we get these new relationships that it seems to me like if people really were actually being consistently born gay mm -hmm. that they would always have those relationships and then attitudes would change over time to reflect that not the other way around um well i think that um i understand what you're saying but i disagree um i think that they definitely did have gay relationships but it um it, it's not the same they they weren't be able to they would not be able to be out of the closet um, and it's just not the same way that we see today. Again, back then relationships and like marriages were more about procreating, especially in the Old Testament with like Genesis. That was the whole reason um, that 
there would be marriage or one of the biggest reasons was because of procreation. And that's why you like see so many laws um, that suggest that that's like the, a huge part of the Old Testament in Genesis. So, I mean, they probably did exist. That's, I guess I didn't fully answer your question. They probably, they did exist, I'm sure. And I'm sure there were, hom there, there were homosexuals. Um, but just like today, um, we have um, many things that we've realized with modern science, with being able to study like huge groups of people, they were not at all commonplace um, and therefore um, not really talked about. Also, you had a lot of homosexual acts being committed in, um, in very evil ways, such as Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people did not feel like they could be out of the closet in their relationships. Okay, well, so uh, there's a couple things I would want to say on that. So the first thing, I, I use the Achilles story in particular, because if Achilles was a historical figure, which of course is out in the open, but if he was a historical figure, he would be around 1100 BC, mm -hmm. which is only 300 years removed from Moses himself, and actually before King David. And even if he's not a historical figure, Homer is going to write that sometime between six and 900, though there's significant, as you could see by that 300 year time frame, uh, variation in when scholars believe Homer would write the Iliad. Um, so that's a pretty old example, but if we don't necessarily want to go that far back, still before the New Testament, but not quite Moses's era, um, the Greeks actually were quite fond of homosexual relationships. You're right, right. Um, they were, but they, again, they looked very different in um, Greco-Roman culture. What would happen is that heterosexual men would be married, but they'd have a young boy and it would be much more like a pedophile relationship that they could do what they wanted with. So again, you're seeing, you're not seeing like um, homosexual well, uh, orientation. You're seeing it as like hedonism and as non-monogamousness. Non non well, so <laughs> let me challenge that for a minute because I understand what you're saying, right? There certainly was the uh, practice of taking on young boys. We see that in the writings of Aristotle and Plato. We see mm -hmm. that in, I mean, the Roman, not Romans, excuse me, the Spartans made a literal cultural tradition out of it. Um, but you also not only see the Achilles story, but also Alexander the Great actually had a person who was not only a man, but a military age man and a captain in his guard. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but who he is very uh, commonly believed to have had what we would describe as a homosexual relationship with. Now, I will agree with you that marriage was certainly reserved for a man and a woman, right. but that's a different topic, right? We're talking about the action of homosexuality itself, right. um, not necessarily homosexual marriage, right? So that's yet another example of, and, and there's more that we could continue to mention, right? Um, I, honestly, if we, if we wanted to make a, uh, uh, the point as, as whether or not homosexual relationships existed in the past, I think You'd, you'd be kind of surprised and maybe even pleasantly considering I'm sure you probably would enjoy these kinds of things as far as, you know, <laughs> humanity and their morals and stuff, right? Um, that actually was quite commonplace. It is because of Judeo-Christian values that we actually have a problem with homosexuality, not necessarily the other way around. In fact, the Kama Sutra mentions many homosexual practices. Uh, we see, obviously, homosexual practices rampant amongst many like of the Greeks, like I said. It's not so common in the Roman era, because Romans had this idea of being a passive homosexual as being very dishonorable, not necessarily the one doing the penetrating or anything like that, mm -hmm. but 
to orally or be, you know, or anally satisfy somebody was considered to be like, you're, oh, you're like lesser. You're not virile. Right. right. So there certainly is that in Roman culture, but that's one culture out of many, right? And they still weren't necessarily not having homosexual practices. They were just having those abuses, abusive homosexual practices you kind of refer to. But that's not the case in the Greeks, in the Indians, in many people in the, in the um, other cultures across the world, right? Uh, Native Americans, the Japanese, so on and so forth. Um, so, and w when you take that away, what other reason do we have to suggest that Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13 do not harshly condemn homosexuality? So I think the reason that they do that is, again, because of procreation. Like, there were many things that you weren't able to have sex with a um, a woman on her period. The same thing goes with the birth control. And going back to your original point, I think you can, that that may be true that there might have been a couple um homosexual relationships, but that doesn't change um, the context of the Bible. That doesn't change the fact that you can see in a very contextual um, basis through each of those verses that they aren't actually condemning those relationships. They're number one condemning homosexual acts in the context of um, idolaters. And then secondly, they're condemning a power, um, a power struggle between um, like a man and his slave. It was legal for a man to actually do whatever he wanted to his slave, which is absolutely terrible. And that's what he was condemning. Um, and you can see that again through um, through the translation. Um, and if you actually like look deeply into the um, like the Greek words for the things, that's that's really what you see. So he's not even if they did exist back then, which I'm sure some some did. That's not what he was condemning in in, in any of these verses. Again, it's very different in Levitical law um, because you you have to have procreation for um, for the lineage to continue. Well, so. First off, so I do have Leviticus 18 up here, mm -hmm. right? Um, I actually have an interlinear in uh, front of me here. I'm not sure. I, I don't think you guys could see it because I think I have to do some sort of screen sharing nonsense for that. But nonetheless, you can pull it up for anybody if you'd like on uh, BibleHub.com. There's other interlinears you can use if you don't want to use that one, but nonetheless. Um, so the word used here, right, is zakar for a male. Uh, and with a male, not you shall lie, right? And that's that's the, that's how it would literally translate instead of translating it or transliterating it, right? Yeah. Um, so zakar means specifically a male. It doesn't mean a boy. It doesn't mean a slave. It just means somebody who is male. And that's the same word that's going to be used in Leviticus 2013. Um, and furthermore, I would point out that there are numerous actions condemned in Leviticus 18, with which not only absolutely would bring forth children, but would also bring forth children in a way that does not actually cause any sort of a genetic defect. Like for example, this verse or this passage rather um, contains a lot of condemnations of uh, incest, but it also contains condemnations of, you know, for being with people who are not necessarily related to you, like a sister-in-law, right? Um, that's clearly a moral thing. So you can have, you can have a child with a sister-in-law and right. that child will not have any sort of a genetic damage done to it or anything like that. But right? that's also, th that's not good for the society. Um, and again, they're, they're trying to, trying to separate from the heathens around them, um, who had a lot of, um, really disgusting practices 
involving like idolatry, right? So I understand that um, it's not like, it's not like the Bible is saying, as long as you're not in, um, related to someone, go ahead and just have sex like rabbits. It's not there. There has to be some limitation for the procreation for you to have a continued good society um, and have a good um, and healthy dynamic in that society. So um, like don't have sex with your sister-in-law. That seems like a pretty straightforward one because you don't want to get in a fight with your brother and you know, fatally injure each other. Um, so, right. But so to, to kind of, to kind of press on that a little bit though. So yeah, if, we now, if, if we can agree that the verse is not actually condemning things that don't lead to procreation, but rather is condemning sexual actions, which it finds not only abhorrent in the Israelites, but as you've already stated, finds abhorrence in the Canaanites and Egyptians as well. Cause those are the mm -hmm. cultures specifically mentioned at the beginning. Doesn't that go to my point? It's saying that regardless of which culture does this, I, the Lord, find this repulsive. It's not like elsewhere in Leviticus, right, where you see you need to not round the corners of your head because you're an Israelite and it distinguishes you, right? It's to me, it's, it's similar to, like, saying that you cannot have sex with a woman who's on her period. Like, that is considered, quote-unquote, abhorrent. I don't think many people consider that abhorrent anymore, but, you know, um, procreation could not happen during that. Um, similarly to procreation not being able to happen if a man lies with a man or, and there's, I mean, there's many other things like they were trying to distance themselves fully from uh, the heathens around them. Um, so you had, it was like a, it's called a purity culture. So that is actually another reason why you weren't even supposed to touch a woman when she was on her period. Um, so, so I'm not again, really though, sure. Doesn't that, doesn't that argue to my point? Like if it's purity, you don't mm -hmm. do things which are unrighteous when you're going for purity, right? The things you are doing when you're going for purity by definition would be righteousness. And if not being in homosexual relationships is righteousness, then by default, being in homosexual relationships is not righteousness, right? I do mean, that, that seems pretty logical to me. Do you think touching a woman when she's on, on her period is unrighteous? I definitely do not do it. Like if you don't go up and touch someone, like if there's a woman well, you don't I mean, know she's on. Physical touches, right? Yeah. There is certainly, um, I don't know that that's necessarily the um, context of the verse there as much as it is sexually, right? Um, you don't sexually, and of course the priests also, the priests needed to make sure they were completely undefiled. They couldn't even touch corpses unless they were the sacrifices, mm -hmm. right? Um, but as far as like sexually speaking, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I don't, that I, you Would you condemn feel. anyone to act, who actually does that? Because people, a lot of Christians don't really care about that at this point. Well, to be fair, now that we can have that argument, because I, and the reason I'm not going to necessarily say is just because that is a split. There are many Christians who follow the Mosaic law and many who don't. But what both of those camps do agree on, and this is why I do want to move on, um, is that, and by the way, just to, just to kind of move forward, because I guess some might say that's running away. Yes, I, I do. I, I do believe the Mosaic law is literally what righteousness is. And that's the reason you have a savior in the first place is because these things do condemn you. Um, but assuming the other side of the Christians, which are probably more popular, which would say that the Mosaic law is not necessarily a law for purity, but something that is strictly given to the Israelites, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or that it's a purity law specifically given to Israelites, which right. seems kind of what you're taking. Mm -hmm. Um these are reiterated multiple times in the New Testament, right? So um, like contextually, right? It's not actually, because again, like what you say that seeds sown in the same um, 
lot of ground, that's also considered an abomination. That's also unclean. Um, or even eating meat is considered unclean. But in the in the New Testament, um, Paul explicitly says that he does not believe it to be unclean anymore. My point being that God gave these laws for a reason. God, God doesn't like just arbitrarily give laws and say, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin. He gives laws for a reason for specific groups of people. For example, for the meats, meats carry diseases. Back then, people didn't know how to rid the meats of the diseases. If they ate the meats, then they would most likely get sick. Um, well, and just to clarify, are you talking about meat or like pork? Um, well, I think pork was definitely included. I don't know if there's yeah. that much of a need so, to clarify. Just to, just to briefly clarify. So there is a condemnation of certain meats in mm -hmm. the Levitical law. Because um, of the diseases. Well, it, it doesn't actually explicitly state that. What it does state in the New Testament is that Peter has a vision in which the meats are actually representative of the Gentile cultures. And Paul mm -hmm. extrapolates from this that the reason that, uh, number one, the reason that you have the uh, meats that you don't eat is because of that. And you open now up to these meats in the same way the Jews now open up to the Gentiles. But also, number two, and much more importantly, uh, you should be able to fit into things which are not necessarily sinful um, in order for the gospel to be pushed forward, right? So, for example, he circumcises, uh, I believe it's Timothy, does not circumcise Titus. Other mm -hmm. way around, it might be. I'm not 100% sure. One of them is circumcised, one is not. The reason is because one will be preaching to Jews and one will not, right? So my question would be then, why would eating meat be considered sinful in the Old Testament, Um and not in the so again, though, where is it sinful though i don't see um in yeah there's there's a levitical verse that actually condemns it and he they say is an abomination actually um let me see if i can find it here i know of like, a verse which condemns it for nazarites and i know of a verse which does allow in genesis noah and his descendants to eat meat implying that it wasn't allowed before but there um, were certain meats that were were considered unclean, which would right. make sense because they had diseases. Similarly, the seed would they not have diseases in Paul's time. Um, they knew how to like cure it better. They had salt. They had a lot of other things to help. Well, they have the those disease. in the in the Old Testament as well. In fact, but the they Old didn't Testament have a. They didn't know how to to clean as well as they did in the New Testament. I mean, there's a lot of time that goes by. So well, it would make. I just I do have to challenge this because the most one sec just uh, okay so. Just to reset in terms of the main point, just to be sure that Carissa was finished saying what she was saying, and then I promise we'll go right back to your question, CJ. Okay. Yeah. Um, I my awesome. So I think also, um, similar to how you had the seeds going into the same plot of ground, and that's also considered an abomination and quote unquote a sin. These are sins for the specific time. Um, and you have to look at the context, right? There were there was a reason because you didn't want to um, sap all the ground of its nutrients. Um, that would be bad for the survival of his people. Similarly, um, if you had like homosexual relationships, that would be bad for the survival of the people. Also, something he'd be worried about too is that those homosexual acts might look like the very close um, idolatrous acts that you saw in the heathen cultures so there's many like there's so much context involved um in this 
that I'm not really sure why we're trying to make it, trying to jam it into to modern culture here. Well, so I feel like a lot of the context, and, and, and I do say this with all due respect, just so you know, but I do think <laughs> a lot of the context is, is added for sure. Like, for example, idolatry is just not mentioned anywhere in Leviticus 18. In fact, Leviticus 18 starts explicitly condemning and calling abominable what the Egyptians and Canaanites do. And that's very important because there are laws in the New Testament, which are in the Old Testament, excuse me, which are definitely Hebrew specific. Um, <laughs> circumcision is the very famous one because Paul talks about it at length in the New Testament as to how it is certainly for the children of Israel. It's a, it's a covenantal thing, right? But what we're seeing in Leviticus 18 in the beginning of those verses is God saying himself, right? At least if you take the narrative at face value, that not only would it be abominable for the people of Israel to commit these actions, but that it was abominable when the people of Egypt and the people of Canaan committed these actions as well. It, they're never called abominable for not circumcising their children or for rounding the corners of their beard or for, or of their head rather, or for shaving their beard or for numerous other things, which are certainly listed as Israelite specific. And if we follow this to its logical conclusion, by the way, we would be removing biblical prohibitions against incest and bestiality as well, because those are all mentioned in Leviticus 18 and not elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So it does seem as if like this is context that is certainly being added by people who have, who certainly, I'm sure you would agree, have an agenda, right? You, you said it in the beginning, uh, people feel as if they cannot fully accept gays. I would personally take uh, issue with that. I think that the Christian should fully accept any sinner because all are, are sinners, but we're mm -hmm. sinners, right? Meaning what we're doing is sin. It's unrighteous. I think that's the entire point. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think you said something um, about idolatry not actually being mentioned in this chapter, and that's actually not true. Um, the 21st verse says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch. For you must Fair. not profane I, I the name. Um, and I think that that even further contextualizes these um, these commands. And I think a lot of these commands um, are kept because you can actually see that these things, and if you don't follow them, they're detrimental to your either your society or the people themselves. That is no longer the case with um, homosexual relationships. There's actually even a study that came out that showed that homosexual relationships have just as much satisfaction as um, heterosexual relationships. So to me, God doesn't make things sin just to make them sin. He has a reason to make them sin to preserve us from future harm. And you see that this entire chapter um, he's trying to create the best society he can, um, for his people, um, in a limited time and attempting to further procreation. Well, and to be fair, whilst I, you are certainly right, that is there, there, that is interesting. That almost my, my mishap there almost argues to my point because that verse is so out of place, right? In something that's about incest. It's about bestiality. It's about sex with father-in-law or something like that. It's about homosexuality. And then out of nowhere is this verse. I mean, if I were a scoffer, which I am not, but if I were, that's actually the verse I would be arguing does not belong in this chapter because it is way out of place. Well, I think there's, there's a reason there. It's in there because well, it kind of shows that a but, lot but of I'm these, a lot of these things are what other cultures were doing. That he's saying, I understand that you're seeing other cultures doing these things. Don't do them. Right, but he's condemning those other cultures for doing it. He's not just condemning the Israelites. 
right? Like I said, it's right. not like the rounding of the beard or not getting tattoos or something like that. He's specifically saying the Egyptians and the Canaanites did this. It was detestable. You also don't do it because I'll find it detestable in you. Right. So some, I'm, I'm not sure that's kind of a, a little bit of a stretch. I'm sure a lot of these things he would consider detestable and what um, the homosexual acts that the other, the other things saying, are doing. I, I am saying they're considered detestable. Yeah. I mean, the acts are, but I, that doesn't translate to homosexuality, right? There's a difference between homosexuality and a committed loving relationship and, and the homosexuality that you see even in this time period with temples and temple prostitutes and a lot of hedonism. Well, hang on though, because we have already shown earlier in this, right, that there is, there's absolutely very popular examples of committed homosexual relationships in the ancient world. At but that's not, that's not what he, what they're seeing in the surrounding cultures, what they're seeing. And I can actually give you, um, there are scholars that actually talk about this um that that this is what they were seeing they were seeing the idolaters um, we might I have to we'll give you a chance to do that carissa and just letting you guys know that maybe in a few minutes mm -hmm. we'll probably go into the q a so maybe this will be kind of the last topic we can cover okay yeah. well can i actually then because we've been kind of on leviticus the whole time can i move it if we have to be a little bit quick sure um absolutely and you continue to pull that up certainly because i don't want you to have to like not get your sources i don't want to like cut you off at the, at the knees or anything like that um, but so you made the claim that this was something that was, which in my, I would completely agree with that. These are listed out because they are things which damage the society. Completely mm -hmm. agree. You then claimed that this is no longer the case. Correct. Um, I think that Romans one definitively says that that is not true. And if we go here to, I have it up. So let me go ahead and grab it real quick. Uh, if we go to Romans one and 26, says, uh, because of this, God gave them up to passions of dishonor. So these, they, he's saying explicitly, these are dishonorable passions, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, they are, the acts themselves are almost a punishment on the society for not following God, right? So in other words, he's not saying these people are doing this as a pagan ritual. He's saying these people refuse to acknowledge God and therefore I turn them over to dishonorable passions. And then he proceeds to list homosexuality and um lesbianism right and it's the first explicit mm -hmm. mention of lesbianism that we actually see in fact it's the only explicit mention. that's actually not 100 percent true um what it says about women just to to get this in there is that they started having um unnatural intercourse which um in the bible could also mean like sex during menstruation anything right, but in, goes... in the context i mean it's talking about homosexual one sec, men one so sec. I mean, let's just just to be sure we hear the full explanation from carissa yeah okay like anything from levitical law that um would go against anything in that law would be considered unnatural um it doesn't necessarily mean like deviating from your sexual orientation um well it doesn't mean having a different sexual orientation it means being heterosexual and saying, hey, I'm not going to listen to my sexual orientation anymore, which is what we were seeing, and I'm going to be promiscuous. That's what it was all about. It was all contextualized within idolatry. And but you can see that in those verses. Hold on one so sec. I, I, just, I have to challenge that. One sec, just, just to be sure that we got the last from Carissa. Yeah, that's all. You can go ahead. Right, and I do apologize. I guess I am, yeah. I am a little quick to jump the gun. I do apologize for that. You're okay. Um, but I do have to challenge that, though, because what we're seeing here, right, you said that unnatural could be anything that's against Levitical 
law mm -hmm. as far as sex is concerned. But homosexuality, we just saw, is against Levitical law as far. So it's almost like we're arguing here in, in what almost sounds like a circle, right? Like we see, well, this is in context specifically of, of procreation. When we see that it's not, and there's other laws in here that are not specifically geared towards procreation, it's this is bad for society. When we see that Romans 1 says this is actually inflicted upon a society for being bad, Mm -hmm. we say that it's only something that's against Levitical law, but that would pull us back to point number one. It's condemned in Levitical law, right? And we've not seen so far anything that suggests that this doesn't actually condemn homosexuality other than arguing to, to points that are certainly not proven, right? So, and in fact, you said unnatural sex. Not only did you say unnatural sex is anything that's against Levitical law, which would definitely include homosexuality, but on top of that, the context of these two verses is absolutely homosexuality, right? We know that because it's very explicit. It's the context, but it, it doesn't actually um, target homosexuality itself. It targets a certain ways of doing homosexual acts. So, for example, what you could do is you could actually um, take this in turn, terms of like heterosexual sex, and it would still be the best, the same thing if you had a situation where you were having orgies and it was 100% heterosexual, it was not monogamous, you were not keeping the marriage bed pure, the same condemnation could be given. Women were committing shameless acts with men and um, received their, their own persons the due penalty for their heir. Like that could have been STDs for being um, promiscuous. Like this could be, a, this looks more like a condemnation of promiscuity and idol um, orgies rather than condemning what we see today. It's not, it's not targeting when a guy has a sex, has sex with a guy in any situation, it is bad. That's not what it says. It's giving a very specific context and says this context is bad. It's talking about idolaters. It's talking about specific people. And what they're saying is what they did, the sexual things that they did were bad. So if that is the case, why in verse 29 does it list fornication, which is an old word that would, that would mean what the Bible considers promiscuity? Why list it again if that's actually what's being referred to in Romans 26, 27? And on that same note, why not just call it promiscuity instead of causing all of this confusion? Um, it's, it's not talking about, it's talking about homosexual acts in the realm of being promiscuous. So you're having like, Lots yeah, but of orgies. Promiscuity, hang on just real quick. Pres pr promiscuity mm -hmm. can't just be called promiscuity. You don't have to specify homosexual or... Right, but um, there were and also... He, does that. he says fornication. There were other things that were happening where heterosexual people were, were um, being having homosexual acts, which is considered wrong. If you're heterosexual, you shouldn't be having sex with the same sex. That's like biblically incorrect. Um, and that's what, you know, because that's not like honoring the desires that God gave you. Um, so I think that is like one specific thing that's totally isolated from promiscuity, which is also bad. It literally says that they gave up their natural, um, their natural intercourse for unnatural. And they're talking about like their first, um, they were heterosexual and they started committing these acts in an idolatrous um, context. So well, that is what it's condemning. That. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you, you, you are reading that from a 21st century perspective, though, because unnatural 
back in those days would be universally understood in this context to mean, or excuse me, let me rephrase that, natural would be universally understood in this context to mean sex that leads to procreation, right? So when you say unnatural afflictions, we know what he means is sex that does not lead to procreation. And in this particular case, we know because of the, the context of the two verses, 26 and 27, as well as greater context, right, that he is referring specifically to homosexual actions. And again, he could have just said promiscuity. He does two verses later in, the ver in verse 29 by saying fornication. When we say, well, your natural afflictions, if you're born homosexual, would be homosexuality, you're assuming that that would be something that Paul or anybody who was writing the Bible for that matter would actually use that as, as a, or use the word natural rather in that sense. When we all know they definitely would not have, there's not a single instance in, in the ancient literature where they use natural to refer to what your natural inclination is. And there's a very quick way to prove that. My natural inclinations just by virtue of being a sexually active man is to do sexually explicit and sometimes gross things, right? That's something every Christian man has to try and fight against, and really every decent man, I would say, because you really shouldn't want to be perverted, right? That is not something that is endorsed by the Bible, though, even though that You're is correct. very obviously my natural affliction, right? And of course it is. It means that the more promiscuous I am, the more of my seed gets pushed forward. From a biological Darwinian standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Right, but the Bible actually explicitly condemns that, so we know that that's not what they mean by natural. And so being promiscuous is being is a subset of what the Bible considers fornication. Fornication is anything that is quote unquote sexually immoral. Promiscuity is one of those things. It could also be um, things that again go against the Levitical law that was all considered like fornication, sexual immorality. Hmm. That includes homosexuality, though. And, and many other things. So again, when Jesus came, he fulfilled the old law. And, and so the, so he was like the fulfillment of the law. So that's why we don't actually um, recognize all of those things, including, I don't think you would say to your like friend, oh my gosh, you shouldn't be having sex with your wife when she's on her like, menstrual cycle. Like that's terrible. You're going to go to hell. That's immoral. So why are we saying that it's immoral for people to have like, homosexual relationships um, when it literally does not hurt them at all? Um, and, and God was like, was saying this in a very specified contextual uh, situation. That's, that's kind of what it comes down to is again, Romans is talking about a very contextual um, situation and specific people which the, his audience would have been, been familiar with, um, the people who, um, they, again, gave up their natural um, intercourse with, like, their wives, and they decided to go out and have, like, orgies. That is not natural. Um, Got so to. that is what... I'm Once sorry, you're ready, we, uh, it's a good chance to go into the Q&A because we have a lot of questions, actually, to, okay. to jump through. But I'll let you finish that point, and then we'll we'll jump into it. Sounds good. Um, that is what Paul is referencing here. We will jump into these questions. I want to say thanks so much, folks. If you've enjoyed this dialogue, I've linked both Carissa and CJ 
in the description. We've got to run through these questions as fast as possible. If we don't get to your question, folks, so sorry about that. But I know that CJ's got another debate coming up in like 20 minutes. Matthew, <laughs> if you're watching, I'm so sorry. We're going to try to get this, uh, try to get through these as quickly as possible. Robert Lescom, thanks for your question, said, CJ, how can you be sure the original text, which we don't have, didn't say that Jesus died and absolved all sin, including homosexual uh, homosexuality, but later transcribed uh, transcribers left that out because they hated gay people. Uh, so I have multiple things I could say on that, but I'll keep it very pithy because I know pithy. that we need to um, Number one, I believe in preservation of the text by virtue of supernatural, um, of a supernatural preserver, right? I think God preserves his text. Number two, there is absolutely no evidence to suggest that whatsoever, and at best you can argue from ignorance, which I'm just not interested in an argument from ignorance in that perspective. Um, number three, and this is why I'm not interested in argument in ignorance, we have better preservation of the New Testament than literally any book in antiquity ever. So it's just not it's not disputable that this that that's not the case. Gotcha. And Spart344, thanks for your question. This is a comment for you, CJ. They said, Patrocles was older than Achilles. He was a suitor of Helen along with Menelaus, if I'm pronouncing that right. I appreciate that. I appreciate any corrections. However, that definitely makes my point more. It sounds like he was heterosexual. So that, I don't know. It sounds like it kind of gets to my point, but go ahead. Next, Matthew Powell's gay pet pterodactyl. Thank you for your question. I highly doubt that's really Matthew's pet dinosaur. Says, <laughs> are pterodactyls gay birds or straight dinosaurs? Don't know. Matthew Powell's pet also asked, is putting Diet Coke and Mentos in my... Let's see, never mind. Robert Luscom, thanks for your question, said, eating shellfish was considered an abomination as well, CJ. Today, no one holds up signs that read, God hates shrimp. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, CJ. So, first off, that's not true. There are numerous uh, Mosaic Law observant Christians out there who absolutely preach that you must observe the Mosaic Law. But number two, and much more importantly, kosher laws as well as Sabbath laws and holiday laws are specifically addressed in the New Testament. None of these other ones are. And if we're just going to assume everything in the Old Testament is done away with, then incest is okay, bestiality is okay, sacrificing your children to Moloch is okay, and I haven't even left Leviticus 18. Gotcha. And thanks for your question. This one comes in from, I guess we'll pair these together because they're close together in the concept. Michael Dresden, let's see, we had one that was close to it. Braden Fears, thanks for your question, said, question for both when i was a christian i was taught that the old testament law was given to jesus to eventually fulfill the law not for people to hold the law do you agree why or why not so personally i believe there's three type of um old laws um levitical laws there's the ceremonial laws which we no longer have to um, abide by because Jesus did come and fulfill them. Then there are the the moral laws such as do not kill um, people, do not murder, do not lie. These are things that um, are general that we should be following. And then the third type of law is um, there are laws that were given for the context, but we have to observe them in their context and follow um, the spirit of the law. So there are laws that, you know, 
um, there are laws that like even in Leviticus, you should be striving to be pure. Um, and I think that's something that I don't think we have to like follow it um, to the T, but I do think that we should strive to be, you know, monogamous as we can. I, I know everyone slips up. I did. <laughs> um, but I think that's one thing that those are the three types of laws. Yeah. CJ, any notes or you feel good on so, that one? What I would say is that I have a certain level of agreement with Ms. Avalon here, but not a hundred percent. Um, what my opinion would be is there are, there's two different kinds of laws I would say in the Levitical law. They're essentially the same as what she said as far as moral and ceremonial, although I wouldn't necessarily say ceremonial as much as covenantal because there are certainly ceremonial laws which Jesus fulfills, such as he is the sacrifice, so there's no longer need for any sacrifices um, and so on and so forth with that, right? But there's also certain laws that were meant specifically to distinguish the Israelites, right? We, I kind of brought those up in sure, here and sweet. sort of along with the rounding of the beard and stuff like that. Um, what I would say is that Jesus came not only to fulfill the law, but he came to ensure that we are saved from those things which he lists as immoral. And it includes a lot, and it may not include things that you like, but that's the point, right? You need salvation because you do slip up. Next, thanks for your question. This one comes in from Germania, who said, let's see, we've got second best Bob. Don't want to miss yours. Uh, let's see. They said, I'm afraid God doesn't approve of homosexuality, and that is why I think uh, Christianity is silly. So uh, disagree. I don't That's about it. But thanks for that, second best Bob. And Germania, thanks for your question. Let's see. I guess that's pretty broad level. So I don't know if either of you guys want to respond to that last one. Um, I think it's kind of sad that, that Christianity has that uh, rap, um, and I hope that maybe my perspective on it changes your mind, but we'll see. <laughs> gotcha, and Germania, thanks for your question, said, question for both, why did God at minimum allow these laws? Why did God at most demand these laws, such as stony gaze, and why doesn't he want us to practice them now? Um, so what I would say is he gave these laws because this is his holiness code. God is righteous. The Bible says he is holy, 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 thrice holy, right? Um, and this is the standard for righteousness, right? Um, I think it, it, as much as it bothers people, like, for example, here, one that bothers people a lot, right? Um, they, they'd say, so should we stone people because they uh, have cursed their parents, Right. Well, no, we shouldn't because we're not under a theocracy. However, unrepentant cursing of your parents, according to the Bible, is death. Right. That is the point. Paul says that the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Right. The point of the law is to show you the standard for actual righteousness is very high. And it's not that you shouldn't strive for that, but you need to know you cannot you cannot get that right. So it's showing you all of those, whether it's cursing parents, being homosexual, being lustful, all that. It's showing you your flaws so that you seek Christ and that he can cover your sins. Gotcha. And thanks. Curse, if you'd like to answer that one as well, we'll give you a shot. Um, I think I think I do kind of agree with CJ to an extent. Um, I think the, the law in the Old Testament was very perfection based and that's actually something i actually really struggle with um with the old testament how 
there does seem to be a double standard for the people in the Old Testament um, versus today. Um, but I think what it comes down to is that Jesus requires mercy, um, like not sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. And I think that if you are pursuing God and if you are, you have your faith in God, that Jesus will um, save you, even if you back then you weren't able to follow those perfect laws um, or, or today you're not able to follow them. As long as you have your faith in him, you trust in him. Um, I think you're good. Gotcha. And thanks for your question. This one comes in from Mike Billers for Skylar Fiction. If you're out there, does the Bible forbid hobo with a B Santa Claus? Thanks for that. Just an inside joke. <laughs> Layman, thanks for your question. This was from, basically they asked for both. What are your thoughts on gay marriage? Uh, from a legal perspective, I am a constitutionalist. There is no constitutional argument that can be made that allows the government to get involved in your marriage. So um, it, it ends with that. I think it's ridiculous that I, as a heterosexual man, need a marriage license. That's completely absurd to me. Uh, um, from a moral perspective, I think that the Bible is clear that the acts themselves of homosexuality are sinful. Therefore, regardless of if it's promiscuous or monogamous or whatever it happens to be, um, homosexuality, the act is wrong. It would almost be like, and I'm not literally saying homosexuality is comparable to murder, so hear me out, but it would almost be like saying, is controlled murder okay? It's like, well, no, it's still, if it still meets the qualifications of murder, then it's definitely still murder, so it's not okay. You know what I mean? So I would disagree. I think even from a moral perspective, I think um, it should be legal. Um, the Bible recognized. Um, one man married to multiple women there which is not like what marriage was intended to be um so i believe that the bible would also recognize a man married to men or a woman married to a woman gotcha thanks so much and sunflower thanks for your question said a bond built via procreation is categorically different than a bond where you're simply monogamous children strengthen bonds how is sex without the intention to have children not purely hedonistic every relationship is going to be different but i think if you are saying that um sex intended to produce children is um, specifically better than sex that does not. I think that is ridiculous. There are many straight couples who cannot have children and to insinuate that they have any less of a bond is, I believe, absurd. Gotcha. And if I may, I do want to kind of actually, just because it does need to be said, I would agree, actually, because I think sex actually does have a lot to do not only with procreation, that's the literal becoming one, fla one flesh, but I think there's a very you know, metaphorical becoming of one flesh that is involved in the romantic act itself. And I would venture that a couple that is not sexual is not a couple by any true definition of the word. Gotcha. And Mike Billars, thanks for your other question, said, My bunny, in parentheses, female, was humping my neighbor's bunny, which is also female. Is God sending my bunny to hell? If so, does God know how furry and cute she is? Uh, animals are not uh, held morally accountable. I don't believe that animals actually have uh, souls. So essentially, 
I believe animals have a predisposition towards acting animalistically, um, which I suppose makes sense. And I think that animals will, I don't know if it will be each individual species or each individual creature, but I think they would just kind of go to heaven by default by virtue of not being able to be morally accountable for anything. And also I think Isaiah specifically in chapter 11 does seem to imply that even animals that the Bible deals roughly with like snakes and wolves will actually be in heaven. All fuzzy animals will go to heaven. All spiders go to hell. <laughs> That's my perspective. <laughs> nice. And Michael Dresden, thanks for your super chat, said, Acts 10.15, God commands Peter to eat all animals. I think that was uh, from the discussion of the, my guess is the New Testament allowing animal all animals to be eaten. Right, and, and, and so in the context there is that he has a vision, a dream, right, where he is able to now eat all the different animals. And um, the vision is in the context that Peter was actually being deceived by what we would call Judaizers, which would be essentially people who were overemphasizing the law of Moses, and therefore Peter wouldn't even eat with Gentiles. And the point was to say, open up the offer of salvation to the world, because Isaiah is very clear salvation you know will, will come to the gentiles as well through the messiah oh okay gotcha and uh carissa if you want to say anything you can otherwise we'll move to the next one no we're good space monkey thanks for your question said uh carissa when you choose to you got a you got a critic out there carissa they said when mm -hmm. you choose to warp your interpretation to this extent you set up an idol you create god in your image repent of your tall tolerance and decency and accept the creator as he is i think we should um view all of these verses in context of what we know of god um and i think it's also very telling that um, many biblical scholars who understand history um such as tp martin who is you know a, again a professor of religious studies at yale um, he believes this, and I don't think it's fair to say that all these people are heretics um, who have a different interpretation um, of the Bible and who want people to um, feel secure in their identity um, and not feel guilty. Gotcha. And thanks for your question. This one comes in from Smokey Saint. Uh, let's see who says first. First Corinthians six nine through ten debate over. Okay, I think this is a one of the. I don't know if you guys. I think you guys touched on that passage. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. We did. Um, and so that's the one where it says effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, right? Um, I do want to point out that the word used there it is believed by some, though not definitely agreed on, that Paul might have invented uh, this word. But nonetheless, I'm pulling up from the Strong's Concordance right now, just so I can- The Arkanosis one? Is that the one you're talking about? Uh, Arsenokoitai. Yeah, so that uh, one, they actually have found that word in other contexts that were not biblically related. Um, okay, and it, so it then does, mm -hmm. All right, well, and, and that's, that's definitely good to know, because I have heard from some that Paul invented the word, and I didn't know if that was true. It um, seems like it, it is about like a power dynamic between a master and his slave, like a sexual power dynamic, which goes back to um, to rape. Um, and I don't believe it's and I'm not I, I know that the translators do the best they can, but I don't know if it's completely accurately translated. 
Well, and, and if I may, I, I do want to give a little bit of, because I did want to bring this up in the debate, but I did never get to just my own fault, of course. But um, So Arsene Akoitas is defined as a male engaging in same-gender same sexual activity by the strongest concordance. The reason is because the words it comes from are arhane, which means a male, and koita, which you've probably heard before, koitist, right? Uh, which means a mat or bed, specifically mm -hmm. a marriage bed, which means if you literally translated the two root words, it would be a male which lies in the marriage bed with a male. Um, that seems to me to be a very, very clear condemnation of homosexuality, especially considering um, pedastria did actually exist, which is a word which describes sex with young boys. So especially with compound words, it's hard to actually figure out exactly what they mean, especially if they're so rare as this word. So for example, understand does not literally mean understand. All we know is that it has something to do with male at, in bed with a homosexual um, inference to it. But again, looking at the, the context um, and the cultural context and also um, different um, places where it was mentioned outside of the Bible, it seems like it's talking about master-slave sexual dynamic. Gotcha. And let's see, Red Knight 821 thanks for your question, said, God clearly condemns homosexuality in the same passage they bring up, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. They say homosexual tendencies are not a sin, it's the act of it. God loves all, but it is a sin, a most unrepentant a mostly unrepentant sin in our society. God bless. So if you guys want to respond, you can. I would just agree, honestly. You Not... know my thoughts. <laughs> gotcha. And Michael Dresden, thanks for your question, said, is premarital sex wrong for both? Absolutely. That it's also, it is also condemned in the Bible. Any sex outside of a heterosexual monogamous marriage is condemned outside in the Bible, very explicitly. I haven't decided on that one yet. I don't know. I think we have to be really careful what we call sin. So I, I can see it both ways, though. Gotcha. And nasty guy, Steven Steen, is back. He says, appreciate your question. He says, if marrying James is wrong, I don't want to be right. Thank you, Stephen. We appreciate <laughs> that. I told you, you've got a wife and kids, Stephen. All right. Marcus Aurelius, thanks for your question, said, it's almost like humans made God, and then in all caps, reinterpret all. I don't know what reinterpret all means. Well, so to be fair, and, and I do want to stress this point, because to a certain extent, it was it was almost conceded by the fact that it was not addressed at all. And if, if that's a misinterpretation on my part, Mrs. Avalon, please do correct me. But um, there is no manuscript evidence whatsoever which suggests reinterpretation or mistranslation of these words. Um, at best, what the person who takes the negative on this question does have to suggest is some level of context that changes what the words are actually referring to, which I think is what Ms. Avalon actually did today. But we, we don't have any manuscripts um, that you know place a new word here. Or, or any translations that translate this in some way that like drastically alters the text or anything like that. I think it's also, it's good to point out that there's only five places in the Bible which this is mentioned. And it's so crazy to me how big the Bible is, but how Christians have honed in so like specifically on homosexuality, that even if homosexuals are in a movie, they freak out and they think an agenda is being driven. So I think, and reinterpretation can go both ways. Um, 
specifically about how important especially this subject is biblically gotcha want to say thank you everybody i'm so sorry that we may not get to every single question in fact we won't we do have to let cj go as he's got a debate that he's late for already so want to say thanks so much everybody for being here i have linked carissa and cj in the description so that if you want to hear more from them get to know them whatever it is you can by clicking on those links for their channels as they're here on youtube and want to say thanks so much everybody though it's been a pleasure thanks for your questions everything else and thanks mods for all you do we never thank you guys enough but most of all thanks carissa and cj just for being here hanging out with us it's a pleasure to get to hear your conversation thank you james for hosting us and yeah thank i appreciate you, CJ, it for talking absolutely <laughs> with that i appreciate it a lot and i am so sorry miss avalon for being a, a uh constant interrupter i i do have a problem with that i'm trying no, to work out. no i do the same thing it's it's a um, passion thing i think so <laughs> for sure i appreciate you having this conversation with me today you as well definitely and want to let you know as well folks tomorrow a debate on wotan's uh topic his title choice controversial the title the exact title is is black lives matter hypocritical and self-defeating so that should be a juicy one folks that'll be here tomorrow night at 9 p.m and that will be you'll you've seen wotan before the famous or infamous flat earther and then we'll actually be welcoming a new guest derico so that should be a lot of fun so with that folks we do want to just say one last time before we go off air we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from gay or straight christian or atheist republican democrat you name it Enjoy these conversations so with that keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable folks and have a great night
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.